Last week was the State of the Union Address. On pretty much every channel you had the opportunity maybe to turn to if you wanted to hear that. And so this morning I have a question. Don't answer me out loud, just think about it. If I were to ask you this morning, what is the most powerful nation on the planet? What would you say? Which nation is the world's greatest superpower? Now the answer to that question would probably have changed over time. The answer to that question would probably depend upon which era or which century or millennia that you asked it. For example, if you asked that question in the days of Joseph, some might have said Egypt. If you were to ask that question in the days of Jesus and his apostles, most would probably have said Rome. Greatest nation on the planet, power-wise. During the centuries surrounding the Protestant Reformation, perhaps somebody would have answered that question, France, England. In the first half of the last century, at the start of the First World War, perhaps if you had asked, what is the world's greatest superpower, strongest nation, mightiest nation? Some might have said, Russia. For those of you that are not familiar with that term, you're dating yourself. Okay. By and large, many might have said Germany or Japan the first couple of years of World War II or into that war. And by and large, over the last 50 to 75 years, if you had asked that question, what is the greatest nation on the planet? The world's most prominent superpower. Most would have probably said the United States of America. So what is the most powerful people or nation on the planet? The actual answer is not time dependent. It's always the same. It doesn't matter the time, the era, the century or the millennia whatsoever. The mightiest nation on the planet is the nation that has as its head and as its king the all-powerful, the unconquerable, the invincible, the supreme sovereign and creator of the universe, the Lord God Almighty. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. It is he who, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, upholds all things by the word of his power. Last Sunday, we talked about the power of just God's spoken word. And it is God who upholds all things by just the power of his word. Turn to me in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want to give you a, a couple of Old Testament descriptions of just such a nation as we are discussing. A nation that has as its king and as its sovereign the Lord God Almighty. There is no mightier nation on the planet at any time in history than that nation. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want you to look what Moses told the nation who at that time, and I use the word nation obviously loosely at this point, but the people 
of God as Moses talks to them. Deuteronomy 4, beginning at verse 32, look what he says. He says, For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice. That he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is to this day. As it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God. In heaven above and on the earth below, there is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Just prior to this time, certainly... Ancient Egypt had to have believed, had to have been convinced that they were the most powerful people or nation on the face of the entire planet. Surely they believed that. When in actuality, because of their rejection of the Lord God Almighty, they were just simply another powerless people doomed to destruction and failure in their day. God had, in fact, earlier given a message to Moses to give to Pharaoh in Exodus 9, verses 15 and 16, where God says to Pharaoh through Moses, If I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you'd have been cut off from the earth. God said, look, Pharaoh, all I had to do, stretch out my hand and you're toast. It's over. You'd have been done at that point. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. God says to Pharaoh through Moses, look, the only reason you're still here is because I want to use you to show my power. And that's exactly what happened. After this great nation of Egypt, after this great nation's war machine, their army drowned. Exodus 14.31 in the English Standard Version says this. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They, just as fickle human beings, didn't believe very long, as we know. But as you read the ensuing history of the people of Israel, this, this people or nation, if you will, who had God as their king and their Lord, 
As they went back and forth between faith and foolishness, you will see that as long as they sincerely sought Him through their humble obedience and honest faith in and submission to Him, they were invincible. We see that in places like 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and other places, that as long as they sought the Lord, as long as they obeyed the Lord, as long as they humbled themselves before the Lord, and as long as they did what was right in the Lord's eyes, no, no other power on earth could beat them. No other, they were invincible. As long as they followed their king. In fact, David would say in Psalm 68 verses 34 and 5, Ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel and his strength is in the clouds. What's David saying? David's saying, look, God is more powerful than anything on earth. And any nation, people, tribe, tongue, there's nothing on earth that compares power-wise with God. His power is in the clouds. And then David goes on in that passage to say this. Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power. Watch this. This is the key phrase to his people. If you are one of his people, what a blessing, what power, what strength. In fact, look at that power. Psalm 33. Please turn to me to Psalm 33. It's a fairly lengthy reading, but it, it encapsulates this morning's message. And I want to use it to just work its way into everything else that I say this morning. Psalm 33, beginning at verse 6. Let these words wash over you, especially as we move on to the New Testament people of God in a few minutes. Psalm 33, beginning at verse 6 reads as follows. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, there's that word again, God just spoke and it was there. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, not some worldly leader, but of the Lord God Almighty. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's the power of our God. Now look how that applies to these nations. It says in verse 10, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. God is more powerful than any earthly ruler, and therefore God's nation, God's people, those who submit to Him and obey Him, are more powerful than any people on the planet. While their plans He makes of no effect, verse 10, look at verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of His heart to all generations. God is so powerful that when God says it, it's going to happen, unless He speaks it into existence and it happens then. If God says, I'm going to do this, it happens. There's no stopping it. There's no nation. There's no king. There's no emperor. There's no president. There's nobody anywhere that can stop what God said was going to happen from happening. What an awesome God we serve. So therefore it says in verse 12 of Psalm 33, 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And I realize that was our scripture reading, but don't just pluck it out of the flow here. Look at what he's been talking about. The reason we're blessed is because of this king. The reason we're blessed as a nation, quote-unquote, is because we follow the Lord and the king. We are the people. He has chosen as his own inheritance. Verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king, I don't care who it is. I think of the, the, the mightiest leader in the known world in any given century. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Why? Because God is stronger than all the armed might of any nation and all nations put together. He's God. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His... Do you hope in God's mercy this morning? Then God's eye is on you. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. Amen. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. You know, many a people and many a nation arose and appeared to be the most powerful or greatest over short periods of time during the Bible's record or the biblical record. Think about some of those great superpowers or nations. You can talk about the Egyptian, the Egyptians, yeah, right. The Egyptians and the Babylonians. There we go. I knew I could do it. You can talk about the Egyptians, the Babylonians. The Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks. You can even talk about the seemingly invincible iron legions of the mighty Roman Empire. And yet, the most powerful sovereign nation in existence throughout all those time periods was the one that served God as their sovereign, Isaiah 40, 21 through 29. When Nebuchadnezzar was king, of the seemingly all-powerful Babylonian Empire, he had a dream. A dream which Daniel interpreted for him in Daniel chapter 2. And the dream portrayed the rise and the fall of several kingdoms, beginning with the kingdom of the Babylonians, which was then, then it explained the rise and fall of the Medo-Persians and the rise and fall of the Greeks. And finally, it described the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, but in that dream, in Daniel chapter 2, God himself promised, Daniel 2 and verse 44, in the days of those kings, in the days of the Roman Empire, God promised that he himself was going to set up a kingdom which would never fall, which would never be replaced, it would never be destroyed, it would never be left to another people, but it would stand forever. In Luke chapter 1, when the angel announces the birth of Jesus, he announces that Jesus is going to be born to establish and reign over this unending kingdom. Later in Matthew chapter 16, we see Jesus talk about this kingdom, this church, that the gates of Hades would not be able to overcome. 
He talked about how he gave Peter the keys to this kingdom. We see in Acts 2 when Peter preached the first gospel sermon that he opened up the kingdom by binding his terms of admittance into that kingdom, repentance and baptism. And we know that that church, that first century church, that first century kingdom that God promised to establish back in Daniel 2, that would never be destroyed, that would outlast all these other mighty earthly kingdoms, all these other nations, as a superpower. Still here today, isn't it? Lord's church still here today? Mm-hmm. It outlasted the Roman Empire. Roman Empire was going down, according to Revelation. But God's church, God's mighty nation, God's people, were going to outlast the Roman Empire. The Lord's church has outlasted the Spanish Empire, and the British Empire, and the Soviet Empire. And it will outlive and outlast each and every other earthly power, and people, and nation, and kingdom, and empire that arises... Until the very end of time, when, when, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 24, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. What a mighty nation is the people of God. The most powerful people or nation on the planet, people of Almighty God's own possession. Those people who are washed in His blood and saved by His grace. Those people that are baptized into Christ and they are members of His Son's one New Testament pre-denominational church, which is the very crowning touch of everything God has ever promised, according to Ephesians 3, 8-12. through The most popular, not popular, not popular, sorry, slip of the tongue, most powerful people or nation on the planet, those who are submissive to God's sovereignty and members of His one sovereign kingdom of which He alone is head and king, Ephesians 1, 15-23, because our God is out of this world. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. You say, well, wait a minute. We are, the church isn't a nation. According to the word of God it is. 2 Peter chapter 2. How about 1 Peter chapter 2? Because somebody put the wrong number down there. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I knew that didn't sound right. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you, this is written to Christians, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. You're special. You know, sometimes when somebody says, you're special, not quite the same context, but God says... You are his own, this king, this, this sovereign of the universe who created all things by the word of his power, who upholds all things by the word of his power, who is above every, everybody and every nation and everything. He says, you're special to me. You're special to me. Sends chills up my back just saying it, but it's what the Bible says. 
We are a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you're the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. You know, some people say, well, wait a minute, Doug. Whoa, slow down, Doug. Church doesn't seem very powerful. Look at us. We're few members in a town, you know, hundreds of times our size. We look around at what different world powers and leaders are doing, and we just, you know, the church is shrinking, and we just, uh, Doug, are you out of your mind? Why would you preach such a lesson? You know, church just doesn't seem very powerful. Christian, bite your tongue and repent. Stop using worldly measures to measure the strength of a spiritual kingdom. Jesus told Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world, John 18.36. God's kingdom does not fit worldly patterns and worldly definitions and worldly parameters. Stop using a worldly physical rule to measure the power and strength of this spiritual kingdom. You know, sometimes we as Christians walk around... We look at all these other nations, or our own nation, and everything's sad and gloom and doom, and, and, and we look around and we get depressed, we get frustrated. You know why I think that is, that we get so depressed and frustrated at times? I think we forget the power of what we are a part of. Let me say it again. I think we forget the power of what we are are a part of as God's holy nation, the church, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom was in the very mind of God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. God had a plan in place before the foundation of the world. He knew what He was doing. He knew what we were going to do. He knew what He was going to do in response. And if you come all the way up through to the first century, again in Ephesians 3, 8 through 12, the church, this kingdom, was the crowning touch. He told Nebuchadnezzar about it through this dream which Daniel interpreted. This kingdom has always been in his mind. It's what he had in mind from the very beginning. This holy nation, you're part of something eternal. I don't care who's president now. I don't care all these kings and these foreign countries. It doesn't matter. Guess what? Within a hundred years, every one of them is going to be back in the ground somewhere. But your king came out of the ground. Your sovereign lives. Your God had this nation, His church, in His mind from the very beginning of time. And you are a part of that. Do you understand that this morning? This chosen generation, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this body, this church, this eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, with God as its creator, listen church, with God as its creator, Christ as its king, and the word of God as its holy government, the Lord's church, the kingdom of God on earth, is incredible, invincible, and indestructible. When God says, the gates of Hades shall not overcome it, is that true? When God says that it's going to last right up until Jesus delivers this kingdom to his Father, is that true? 
When he said back in Daniel, I am going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, is that still true? And you, if you are in Christ, you are a member of that holy nation, that kingdom. What a blessing! What an honor! What a privilege! Hebrews 12, 28 and 9 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the writer of Hebrews knew this kingdom is going to last till the very end. It is going to last above and beyond every other earthly kingdom. He says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. He said, look, if you're part of this blessing, you need to, you need to be spiritually on your face, worshiping God, serving God at every opportunity, loving God at every opportunity. You need to understand what you're a part of and whom this God is that you serve, and you must serve Him acceptably with reverence and a godly fear because of who He is. One more time. We're members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We serve a king that cannot be conquered. Death itself could not conquer him. And we have a message which cannot be destroyed. Isn't that awesome? A few years ago, in House to House, Heart to Heart, they had a short article on the indestructible word and it is this word of God that stands forever that is forever firmly fixed in the heavens Psalm 119 verse 89 it is this word that is our constitution if you will our governing rules and so house to house had this article on how powerful the word itself is that we have is that which governs us the title was the indestructible word I don't know who wrote it but let me read it to you quickly Many have tried to destroy the Bible. In 303 AD, the Roman Emperor Diocletian issued an edict to destroy Christians and their Bibles. Over a burned Bible, he built a monument on which he wrote these words, Extincto Momene Christianorum, which means the name Christian is extinguished. 303. 20 years later, hear me church, smile, it's good. 20 years later, Diocletian was dead and the new emperor Constantine commissioned 50 copies of the Bible to be prepared at government expense. I don't care who rises to power, you're not going to get rid of God. You're not going to get rid of his word. You're not going to get rid of his son. And you ain't going to get rid of his kingdom. The article continues. In 1776, Voltaire, the French philosopher, announced, quote, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by some antique seeker, unquote. That worked for him well, didn't it? 100 years later, Voltaire was dead, and his own house 
and press were being used to print and store Bibles by the Geneva Bible Society. Don't mess with God. 100 years from the day of Voltaire's prediction, the first edition of his works sold for 11 cents in Paris, but the British government paid the Tsar of Russia half a million dollars for an ancient Bible manuscript. We get in the picture here. The nations can rage and the kings can rage and the nations can plot in vain. But they best kiss the sun. Proverbs chapter 2. The article concludes, God's word shall stand forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Brethren, we can be comfortable and confident in our lifetime that no matter who says what or how strong they say it, they will not destroy God's kingdom. They will not destroy God's word. And they cannot destroy us as the people or nation of God as long as we are submissive to him. Some might say, well they can kill us. That just means I transfer to the other part of the kingdom. Doesn't mean the kingdom. And how many Christians died in the first century as martyrs? Thousands, tens of thousands. Did the church cease to exist? If it did, what are you doing here? As I said, Christians are members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, serve a king that cannot be conquered, and have a message that cannot be silenced or destroyed. As you leave this building this morning, whether you go back here to eat, and I hope you all do, or whether you, you go home, don't lose heart. Don't lose sight of the fact that you, you, as an individual, you're not a person you see in the mirror every morning, you are part of something that is eternal, invincible, unconquerable, and cannot be stopped. Because we have a king who is all of that and more. This morning I would ask, are you a member of that eternal, invincible, and indestructible kingdom of God, or church of Christ as it's called? If you are not, this won't come as a surprise to anybody in this room, I hope. But if you are not, the terms of admission haven't changed. They're the same as they were in 33 AD. They're the same as they were when Peter opened the kingdom up. You need to hear the message. You need to believe the message. It needs to prick your heart. You need to be willing to repent. You need to be willing to confess Christ. And you need to be baptized specifically for the forgiveness of your sins. You must do that. It's what Peter said. And it's the same today. God's word, God's plan has not changed. God didn't get up through the middle centuries of history and say, Ah, oh, wait a minute guys, maybe I blew that. Here, let me back up and try again. i got a different plan now. I'm going to have you say a prayer instead of be back. That's not what God doesn't do that. God's plan, when God spoke it, that's the end of it. It's perfect, it's done, it's finished, it's over. His plan is for you to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then to live a life that is devoted to Him, this newness of life, if you've never been baptized or if you aren't living that newness of life. If you've been frustrated, if you've been overwhelmed, 
If you need the prayers of the church because you didn't understand the magnificence and the perfection and the eternality of what you are a part of and you've let everything get to you, if we can help in any way with prayers or to baptize you, if there's anything at all we can do to help out, please don't just stand and sing. Make your way to the front while the rest of us stand and sing and encourage you, would you please, as we do stand and as we do sing.